Just before Dr. Kendall comes to bring us the word of God this morning, I will read the portion of scripture from which he is preaching. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to 2 Kings 2, verses 11 through 18. As they continued along and talked, behold, a chariot of fire with horses of fire appeared suddenly and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he no longer saw Elijah. And he then took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces through grief. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that fell off him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he too had struck the waters, they divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. When the sons of the prophet who were watching opposite at Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him in respect. And they said to Elisha, behold, now there are among your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall send no one. And when they urged him until he was embarrassed to refuse them, he said, send them. So they sent 50 men and they searched for three days and did not find Elijah. They returned to Elisha while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not tell you, do not go? Let's welcome our tea this morning. Where is the God of Elijah? Where is Elijah? And where will you be 100 years from now? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend, and cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that you will make this a day of days a life-changing moment and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Swing low, sweet chariot, come and fall at Carry me home, swing low, sweet chariot, come and for to carry me home. How many of you know 
that that is the favorite song sung at Twickenham when England plays in a rugby match. <laughs> How many of you knew that? Not many. Aren't you glad you came here today? <laughs> the word of Elijah. And the word that we have that he was taken in a whirlwind gave the old black slaves in Alabama something to look forward to. And that's what that old spiritual is based upon. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me If you get there before I do, coming for to carry me home, tell all my friends I'm a coming to, coming for to carry me home. There are actually two sources for that old spiritual. One was the account of Elijah being taken up in a chariot of fire. We read in verse 11 of chapter 2, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses appeared and separated the two of them. A chariot was a two-wheeled vehicle drawn by horses used in war in ancient times. And what an honor it was for Elijah that horses of fire pulling a chariot of fire would come to get him and carry him up. What a welcome into heaven. The fire, possibly the same kind of fire that Moses saw at the burning bush or on Sinai, possibly the same kind of fire that fell on Mount Carmel. What a welcome home. What an honor and affirmation of Elijah. As we have seen, Elijah wasn't perfect. He said, I alone am left wrong, but God overlooked that. Here's a man who, having confronted the prophets of Baal, ran from Jezebel, showed how weak he was. And yet, he's given a welcome. Imagine a welcome like this. What would be the thr most thrilling kind of moment that you could have on this earth? I think of the Olympics, when the person who wins the gold medal holds that gold medal and hears the sound of their own national anthem. I would have thought that's about as good as it gets for being thrilled. Or perhaps to have a, a, a state welcoming. You know, they're, they're trying to decide whether to give Donald Trump uh, a, a state visit. They're not sure. 
for that to happen. It's, it's the greatest honor any head of state can have when it's not only the welcoming of the queen, but all of the bands and, and the military get involved in the flags. But these old slaves envisaged a welcome greater than that. In fact, the, the other account where you have an, uh, that probably gave birth to that old spiritual, it's in Luke chapter 19. Jesus said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he was in torment. And so Abraham, far away with Lazarus at his side. The interesting thing is, two men, one went to heaven, one went to hell. And who do you suppose we know the name of the person who went to heaven? Lazarus. We don't know the name of the rich man. He's nameless. And the wonderful thing is, as a result of him being a beggar, are you aware of this? Only beggars can be saved. It's true. Until you humble yourself and are willing to go on bended knee to God, not because you deserve anything, no snapping of the finger, the great curse of our age is a feeling of entitlement. You've got to do away with that. You are entitled to nothing as far as God is concerned. We all deserve to go to hell. There was the rich man who thought he had everything coming to him. He is the one. We all think we deserve. Did I say go to hell or heaven? My wife was always correcting me. I get the opposite. The rich man went to hell. Lazarus, the beggar, went to heaven. And Jesus said, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. You see, there were those who were able to cast out demons and they were all excited. And they came back to Jesus and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And Jesus said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Your name. Some years ago, one of my mentors, Rolf Barnard, preached a sermon based upon Acts chapter 19, where there were people going around casting out devils, and they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And some Jews thought that looked like fun. They're called sons of Sceva. And to them it was a game. And so they would go around <laughs> casting out demons. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And one day, to their surprise, a demon leaped on them and said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? 
for that demon was not known in hell. And my old mentor, Rolf Bonin, his the base of his sermon was, he said, I want to be known in hell. And I've thought about that a lot over the years. And I can tell you now, I would be so happy if I thought that I was known in hell. I fear I give the devil no problem. I fear that. They knew about Paul. I would rather be famous in hell than famous on this earth. But one thing I know, my name is written in heaven. I wonder if there's anyone here today that you are asking the question, where is the God of Elijah? Well, it's a question Elisha asked when he came to the river Jordan. He had seen Elijah taken up in the whirlwind. And Elisha met the condition. Elijah's cloak, mantle, fell on the ground. And so Elisha picked it up. But he felt nothing. And here's the thing. He didn't know if anything happened or not. Elijah's gone. All there is is his cloak. And so he asked the question, where is the God of Elijah? The thing is, Elisha wasn't sure if anything happened. Do you ever pray and you wonder if your prayer was heard? Do you ever think, did God hear me? But I, I've said it to you before. Uh, in my ministry, whenever I have seen some people healed, at the time I prayed, I felt nothing. I remember one Sunday night, a lady from, uh, from uh, Chile, spoke in bro broken English, came up to me after the service, and she said to me, heal my husband. Heal your husband. Yeah, last week you healed me, now heal my husband. I said, what do you mean I heal you last week? She said, you prayed for me. I came. I had a, years ago in Chile, a snake bite on my right leg. And my right leg was big, huge, swollen, big. Other leg, normal. You pray for me. The next morning, no medicine, no doctor, same size as the other. Now heal my husband. Well, what's wrong with you, sir? I don't sleep. The demons kicked me out of bed. We found out later his mother was a witch. I got a deacon. I come, let's, let's pray for this man. We anointed him with oil. Now, some of you would have said, you would have taken charge, and you would have said, in the name of Jesus, come out. We Maybe we could have done that, but we didn't. My faith was weak. We just anointed him with oil. I can tell you, I felt nothing. He came back the following Sunday and said, this week I slept three times for the first time in 25 years. So would you have another go? <laughs> so we prayed for him again. He came back the following week. He said, seven nights in a row, 
slept like a baby. And we didn't let him give his testimony for six months. I was just playing it safe. Six months later, healed. But I felt nothing. The thing is, you may feel nothing. And you ask the question, where is the God of Elijah? Well, this much we know, the God of Elijah is in heaven. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Louise and I pray it every day. I hope you do. Our Father, who art in heaven. God is in heaven, but he is equally on the earth by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is in his holy temple, and all the earth be silent before him. As a matter of fact, there is no place in God's universe, his creation, where he's not present. He's omnipresent. The psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Maybe there's someone here, you've come to London and you're running from God and you thought you could get away. You can't. You can't run away from God. Wherever you are, he's in your face. And yet there are times when there's no sense of his presence. I wonder if you've ever thought about letting the unconscious presence of God grip you. And that's where faith comes in. If genuine faith truly sets in, you will rejoice in his presence even if you feel nothing. Now, I've got to come clean. I'll tell you something. Yesterday morning, I looked at those words that are in my notes and I felt convicted. The truth is, I had one of those days, I guess you have them, I woke up and I had slept not enough. I hate days like that because I think it's going to be all day long. My mind won't be clear. I will be weak and I have to force myself. And I needed the day to prepare for this sermon. And I was counting on a full day and I woke up little sleep. And then I came to the note, if genuine faith truly sets in, you will rejoice in his presence. And I thought, well, I'm going to be preaching that. Do I believe it? And you know what? I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like it, but I just started praising the Lord. And I just determined to do it. And I praised the Lord, and I was not expecting this. His presence just kicked in. And I had hours of just waiting for him. And in fact, I said to Louise, I've gone two hours, I haven't even got to my quiet time yet. But that just happened. It just goes to show he's always there. Praise him. When you don't feel like it, praise him. Well, why did Elisha ask this question? Where is the God of Elijah? Well, he didn't have Elijah anymore. He's in uncharted waters. He's having to proceed without his father, Elijah. He doesn't know how how it's going to be because he had had Elijah with him day and night for years. And now Elijah's gone. Do you know what it is to have somebody always with you? Friend, maybe a spouse or someone that's always been there. And now 
no more. And it's not the same. Well, that was Elisha. And he just didn't know if he could cope. And his question is, as he comes to the River Jordan, where he had seen Elijah some time before put his cloak on the River Jordan and it parted. And now Elisha comes back to the same place. And he's having to proceed. He doesn't know for sure if the anointing has fallen on him because up to now he has felt nothing. By the way, where is the God of Elijah? Well, here's an interesting thing. Jesus said, my father is at work. He is always working. That's in John chapter 5, verse 17. Let that grip you. My father is always working. And he is working in your behalf. You may feel nothing. You've come into this place and you don't have the friend you used to have. You're in a situation you've never been in before. And you're in uncharted waters and you feel nothing. But I want you to know, and you can take this to the bank. In heaven, your heavenly father is always working. Well, I would ask you this question. What is your River Jordan? Have you come to the River Jordan and you want to know what's going on? Well, Elisha now has only Elijah's mantle, his cloak, and he's not sure what's going to happen. He's He's nervous at the River Jordan. And perhaps it is like the time when Moses was asked to raise his rod at the Dead Sea. This is very interesting to me. You know, Pharaoh had finally let the children of Israel go. The night of Passover, the killing of the firstborn, did it. Elijah, sorry, Pharaoh finally says, Out, all of you, go. He was glad to get rid of the children of Israel. But then, after a while, Pharaoh said, what have I done? I've, I've let him go. And he, he changed his mind again. And so, in the meantime, the children of Israel were led to a particular pocket next to the Red Sea. God might have led them another way, and they would never have to worry about the Egyptians again, or if they'd gone this way. But on purpose, he led them to a pocket where there's nothing they could do. And all of a sudden, they look up. Lo and behold, the Egyptians are coming after them. 600 chariots and the people of Israel. They say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us down to die? You would have thought they would never complain after seeing what God had done. But in no time, they're starting to complain. They, says, they say, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Did we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die for the, in the desert. And then Moses, showing how brave 
he would speak. He said, don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see you again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. But you see, that was Moses speaking. Because do you know something? That inwardly, he was scared to death. You wouldn't know but what he said. There's a verse that could well have been written in Exodus chapter 14. It would be between verse 14 and 15. The reason we know that, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? That shows that something happened. As soon as the Lord, he said, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. It could have read, Moses cried out to the Lord. Doesn't say that, but that's what he did. It's just like when a preacher shows such great authority, but inwardly, he could be scared to death. And this was Moses. He was saying all the right things. The Lord will fight for you. But inwardly, he was saying, oh, God, please, what's going to happen? And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory. Imagine that. Why would Pharaoh come back again? God says, I will gain glory. If you come to your Jordan, I don't know what your Jordan may be. Maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe you're grieving over someone. Maybe you're in a desperate financial situation. You don't know how you're going to make it. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you are ill and you need healing big time and you need it soon. What is your Jordan? And you're asking, where is the God of Elijah? Well, now here was Moses told he says, don't worry, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and I will gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and the horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites walked across the sea on dry land, a wall of water, on their right and on their left. Well, you have the, the same situation now. They're coming to the River Jordan. And Elisha is wondering, will it really happen to me? And so he takes his mantle, strikes it on the water. It worked. 
as the Red Sea had parted for Moses, and now the Jordan parted for Elijah, it now parts for Elisha immediately on both sides. Do you need to do that? Do you need to take the cloak and strike Jordan? Where is the God of Elijah? As near as your faith. According to your faith, so be it unto you, said Jesus. Jesus saw the woman's faith who just wanted to touch the hem of his garment and said, your faith has healed you. Paul saw a man's faith and he saw that he had faith to be healed and he was healed. What is your Jordan? Are you right there and you're asking the question, where is the God of Elijah? Well, now, what about Elijah? Where is he? Well, I can tell you, he's in heaven. He was given a rich welcome. What a welcome into heaven. But you know what? According to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, it says to ordinary people like you and me, if you add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge kindness, kindness patience, patience temperance, Temperance, godliness. He said, if you do these things, you will be given a rich welcome into heaven. <laughs> It'll be worth everything. And you feel at the moment you're not accomplishing much. You feel so little, but you're adding to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance. Read it in 2 Peter chapter 1. You see... Will all believers receive a rich welcome? Will all believers? No. Paul talks about those who will be saved so as by fire. Their works burned up. No reward to the judgment seat of Christ. None. They get to heaven only just. Well, you might ask, well, what about believers who are not saved by fire? Will they receive a rich welcome like Elijah received? Who knows? I can't be sure. But those who meet the conditions that characterized Lazarus, who was given an angelic escort to glory. Imagine this. Lazarus, poor man, beggar, he never got escorted anywhere. He didn't know what it was to ride in a taxi. He was a poor man, but he was a beggar. And God knew his name. That's why it's interesting about that parable. We don't know the name of the man that went to hell. Nameless. God said to Israel, Isaiah 43, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. We all like it when somebody remembers our name and calls us by name. And you may not be famous. Your name might not have been in the times yesterday as having been greeted by Her Majesty the Queen. Or when you die, you may not have your name written in a newspaper. But I can tell you what matters. That your name is written in heaven. And the condition that is required is that you're a beggar. Not ashamed to go to God. You don't snap your finger. Expect God to salute. 
the leper, the leper who knew his place in society, when he went to Jesus, he didn't say, you've got to heal me. No, he said, Lord, if you will, you don't have to, but if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. And we come to God just saying, I have nothing, but would you be so kind as to save me? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, we know the name of the man that went to heaven. Back in the hills of Kentucky, we used to sing a song. It goes something like this. Lord, I care not for riches, neither silver nor gold. I would make sure of heaven, I would enter the fold. In the book of thy kingdom, with its pages so fair, tell me, Jesus, my Savior, is my name written there? Do you know what? Sing it with me if you do. Is my name written there on the page white and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? Well, Elijah. He was now in heaven. It's interesting. Some of the prophets, <laughs> you thought they would know better, but they said, we, we, he must be carried around somewhere. Let's go look for him. Elisha said, don't bother. I can tell you now, you won't find him. Oh, let's go have a look. They came back. We couldn't find him. Well, the next time Elijah is seen, it's with Moses when Jesus was transfigured on a high mountain. You know, there are two people in the Bible who are said not to die. It's Enoch and Elijah. Moses died. God buried him. Nobody knew where his grave was and people would go to, the go to the grave and worship. We're all going to die. You say, well, what about Enoch? He was translated that he should not see death. He was an exception. Enoch and Elijah were exceptions. But you and I, will die unless Jesus comes first. So I bring my talk to a close. Where will you be 100 years from now? I think we could all reasonably assume that we will not be here 100 years from now. If I were to be here 100 years from now, I will be 181. Who here has faith to believe I will be here in 100 years? Is your hand up, dear? Oh, give her a gold medal. I don't think any of us will be here 100 years from now. But you know, my friend Lyndon Bowering and Alan Bell and I were in Israel a few years ago. And I get a phone call from Andrew White, Canon Andrew White. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury's envoy. And to make a long story short, he just said, Yasser Arafat will see you in Ramallah tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Well, I called Louise. I said, 
You're not going to believe who I'm going to meet. The president of the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, was going to see me. And it was billed to be a 15-minute visit, and I thought, I'll never see him again, and so I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to go for him and do all I can. And I said to him, Ra'is, where will you be 100 years from now? The question that will matter then will be not whether you got Jerusalem or the Israelis. Where will you be 100 years from now? Well, they didn't throw me out. We were there an hour and 45 minutes. I visited him five times. I say in my book, it ain't over till it's over. I expect to see Yasser Arafat in heaven. But the kindest question anybody could ask you, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Would you be willing, if you don't know for sure, where you will be 100 years from now? And there may be only one person like that. But I have a feeling there's at least one you don't know where you will be 100 years from now, and you can know where you will be. You can know you will be in heaven. In order to know that, for sure, I'm going to ask you right now to pray this prayer. Don't need to say it out loud. Say it in your heart. God will see you. You ready? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I need you. I want you. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. <laughs> 